We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Arizona, Colorado, Indiana, Michigan, New Jersey, Tennessee, and Virginia. WinBet is now live in all these states, and the excitement of Win Las Vegas has finally landed in online sports betting and casino play. From boosted parlays to live in-game betting odds on every major sport, WinBet gives you the tools to win. Sign up today for your risk-free $1,000 sports bet. Download the WinBet app now or visit wynnbet.com to start winning. The biggest notes from the Zero RB watch and Stealing Signals. That's what we're talking about today on Stealing Bananas. I'm Ben Gretsch. You can find me on Twitter at Yards per Gretsch. You can find my substack at bengretsch.substack.com. And with me, as always, is Sean Siegel. You can find the Zero RB Watch and all of the other awesome stuff he does over at Rotoviz. And Sean, it's Wednesday. We've done our, our, our research. I wrote extra stuff this week. I was just joking. You just had a really funny analogy because we were talking before and I was I needed you to repeat it because uh, I'm feeling a little bit scatterbrained today. We, we do have a few of these sort of funny segments where we're, we're recording the pod and, and I get done and there's a pause and I'm looking over at Ben and it's very much like uh, the great scene in the Darjeeling Limited where the author has shared his his work, you know, with his best friends there, they're reading through, they're laughing. It's like, oh, oh, oh what part are you on? And they turn and say, I was thinking about something else. <laughs> so we have a few of those moments when we're doing Stealing Bananas. Uh, ben, it was a great weekend. Uh, our, just, and things were very much on brand. I mean, you can't beat it when they're on brand. Our teams are mostly doing very well. We have an undefeated team that's in first place kind of across the board, some of their teams that I'm doing also doing very well. Our running back, running back, running back team we drafted is doing poorly, exactly like we tell people. And then also kind of wanted to bring up, we talked about this on Road to Biz Overtime. Our OT listeners will already know, obviously followers of Ben will probably also already know, but Benjamin Gretsch is crushing the Scott Fishbowl not just leading, but leading by this massive amount. And it seems like Ben, this was a zero RB team. And I heard that some of the responses to this team were funny because it seemed like people didn't think it was fair that you drafted a bunch of wide receivers early and that you have a bunch of awesome wide receivers. 
Is there, I mean, is there a relationship between those two things? It was a very interesting set of responses. I got all the, the classics, you know, we, we turned on the oldie station. We, we played all the hits. I got, um, too early of a victory lap. Certainly. Uh, why, why would I be excited about being first in a 2000 person tournament after only four weeks, you got to win the thing. Right. And newsflash, there is a pretty high probability that I don't actually win this thing. Uh, I got that I just hit on all the players. It's really just a choose the right players approach. Look at all the receivers I hit on, which, I mean, I don't even know where to start on that. <laughs> I don't even know where to start, John. Like, how do you hit on all the really good receivers without taking the re- taking receivers high? That's the whole fucking point, Sean. That is the, the, whole, the whole point. I, I, I quote tweeted one of those responses and said, the specifically outlined goal of zero RB from the creator of zero RB. And I had to make this point because so many people like to comment on what zero RB is and isn't. And they're always wrong about sort of what you talk about with it. And you made the damn strategy up. And I said, so I said from the specifically one who I happen to, to, you know, host a podcast with, I do talk to this individual. I know his thoughts on it. It's not, you know, just somebody, claiming they know your thoughts on it, which I've seen that tact as well. And, and then they misstate sort of the way you talk about it. But the specifically outlined strategy is to hit on six top 15 wide receivers. That is the goal. And then I added, yes, it seems like this team happens to have hit on that specifically outlined goal, which requires you to take receivers early. So we did we did accomplish that. Um, but that was a that was a criticism. Just choose the best players. They happen to be wide receivers. Don't know if there's a correlation there between whether uh, taking a lot of wide receivers early helped me hit on the best players or not. It, that that seems to be uncertain. Maybe I, I guess I could have hit on these players later if I took running backs earlier, but they usually don't go in the drafts a lot later, so that would have been hard. Well, Ben, if I remember correctly, you went Patrick Mahomes, Tyree Kill, Stephon Diggs, and my question is, uh, it seems like we haven't quite gotten our message across if whichever one it was, Diggs or Hill, is available in the third round. It seems to me like Diggs led the week in air yards and you know is on the verge of the type of eruption that we saw from a bunch of guys this week. But did did I mean did Tyreek Hill score forty seven points this week? That doesn't seem like a guy who should be available that late even in Superflex. Now you also had Patrick Mahomes. Patrick Mahomes, he's tied to Tyreek Hill, it seems like. He's crushing. And, and what's funny is I told you a couple times I was lamenting listening to Davis Maddock, who convinced me to draft Mahomes 101. I, I had originally thought about taking McCaffrey when I put in to get the 101. And so, yeah, I mean, obviously they're like, there's luck about this stuff. This wouldn't even have been a zero RB team. I was regretting that I didn't take a running back. So like, I'm not None of this victory lap or anything is saying that I'm infallible or anything like that. I've just, it's very funny to read the criticisms. Obviously, I've been very fortunate and I'm, I'm very excited, obviously, to be a top Scott Fishbowl. Played it for a number of years. It's a, it's a very fun contest. You get to compete against everyone. I happen to have done very well in the regular season last year. I was in the top 10 for a period of time during the regular season. So I, I thought this would be the down year. <laughs> you know what I mean? And, it's very, very cool to, at this point in the season, again, be up there near the top of the leaderboard for the second straight year. I'm very excited about that. Again, I don't think that has a lot to do with anything. I was picking at the end, at the turn. There were several times I felt sniped. One of them I know was Daryl Henderson. I, this is before the Akers injury. So 
the zero RB thing, you know, could have worked out that way. The other funny thing about the zero RB team is I did not play Zach Moss either of his week two return. I played Tevin Coleman instead or his week three game because I was convinced week two, a lot of his production came late. People who read Stone Signals read that. I was, you know, mistaken. Zach Moss has taken over this backfield. That's something we can talk about probably today. It's been very exciting to see if you have Zach Moss. Uh, but I also didn't play him in week three because I had Alexander Madison. Cook was out and I also played uh, Tony Pollard and Pollard didn't you know, do great. Moss had another great game in week three. And so actually, if I would have played Moss both those weeks, this team could be it's already leading. Like you said, I think it's 50 points or 70 points higher than third place. It's it's up quite a bit on second place, but even higher, even more on third but it could be significantly higher if I would have just played the running backs well, which are really the only decisions I've had to make from a lineup perspective. I'm playing the receivers, the six receivers that I drafted every week. I'm playing the you know Noah Fant every week. I'm playing Mahomes and Stafford, who are my QBs. The only decisions I, I, I've mismanaged the team is the point. <laughs> well, it seems like those receivers must have been uh, T. Higgins, Jerry Judy, and Lewis Cushenault. Is that right, correct? Exactly. My targets, yes, uh, who I did not get. T. Higgins I got sniped on. Visca I got sniped on. Higgins went one pick before me, if I'm not mistaken, and I almost got a really great value on him and was so excited to take him. Instead, I, you know, I had to settle for Debo Samuel with that pick. Sometimes you just have to settle, you know? Yeah, and sometimes it's better to be lucky than good. We look at Debo in that game, and uh, one of the topics for today, we didn't talk about the late games in our Monday night recap. We had the situation with the 49ers where – uh, Jimmy Garoppolo doesn't look very good. It comes out after the game that he probably was already suffering some with the calf injury. Then Trey Lance goes in. And Ben, it would be hard to have a 20-point game in one half and look as bad as Lance looked. But the defensive breakdown that leads to the 76-yard Debo Samuel touchdown, we love that. We have a lot of Debo in there. It was even one where he's wide open. You can see the defensive breakdown. And you can kind of, I mean, you can't see like the the angle into his face, but his body language as he catches that almost punt-like pass that Lance throws to him is, it's like, I just hope it gets here because the defenders at some point are going to come. He catches it. They don't have the angle on him. He goes the whole way. It was awesome to see him get that second touchdown late. He really fought for that. Some of the things the first three weeks, it was easy to kind of make the case, well, you know, Ayuk isn't 100% healthy. Defenses are trying to take away Kittle. One of the things that was worrisome in this game is that Kittle took, I mean, his quarterbacks, both QBs, led him into some vicious hits. He had one where his legs got bent uh, in a very scary fashion early in the game. He took a hit to the head uh, in that last drive when the 49ers were pushing it into the end zone there on that pass from Lance. I mean, he's getting the living daylights beaten out of him. Uh, but in this game, one of the things that's great if you are as good as Debo Samuel is right now and you're getting a little bit better of a target profile as well, you're in that depth of target where now you have both the, I mean, it's actually been very similar to what we're seeing with DJ Moore in that you have the before the catch element that he looks excellent at. You have the after the catch element. I mean, it's easy to forget that he averaged 15 points per game in the second half of his rookie season. He was number two in the NFL that season. Uh, with over eight yards after the catch per reception, which is a, a very gaudy number. You know, you're, you're going to get some of it on some of these plays like this where you have the defensive breakdown. You go back and look at it as well. I mean, probably a lot of players could have done that. But then we see that play at the end where he just fights for that touchdown. 
And those are the kinds of plays that number one are going to score fantasy points, but number two are going to get more targets from your QB because he trusts you to make this great play for him. One of the things from Lance, the passes looked bad, right? They were all over the place. They were late. He didn't seem like he had a sense of what he wanted to do, but we saw competitiveness there, perhaps more competitive than we've seen from Justin Fields. It is apples and oranges. I mean, some of the situations that Lance was put in were better for the scramble element. But I thought the thing that was awesome to see from Lance is that even though he played poorly, he fought. And I mean, this is exactly the type of scoring profile that that made him such a appealing target when you're kind of stashing guys late because you don't necessarily have to be good if you can run and if you can fight. Yeah, I, I mean, I wrote very similar stuff to this in Stealing Signals this week. <clears throat> I thought the same about Lance's passing. It was not very good but I wrote that he was a better stash than Fields, even though I've been very impressed with Fields' accuracy overall because, number one, I mean, Shanahan came out after the game and said that the game plan wasn't designed for for Lance, and yet we saw them call QB runs. We saw him scramble. We saw what you're talking about, that competitiveness. And I agree. I'm a big – I've been a big kind of Fields apologist so far this season. I like Lance as well. It's not really like I've picked fields, but I think I'm more inclined to be biased towards fields, but I completely agree with that point about the competitiveness. Fields has at times looked sort of disengaged. I think, you know, the way that I've chalked that up in my head is he just seems to me like someone who's trying to do what his coach is telling him. And it can be kind of tough in the situation. Meanwhile, Lance getting a little more freedom, it feels like to, to kind of be himself maybe, or at least it, it felt that way in this game took off and ran uh, at the right times. It felt like, and they had the design stuff. He had, I think five carries for 47 yards or something, seven carries. I don't know. He had up in the 40 to 50 rushing yard range, which is great to see in a half of football. And he had a two point conversion. So we saw basically a goal line offense that featured a designed Lance run that can be touchdowns. Obviously it was only a two point conversion here, but the passing was concerning. He's, he's got a cannon too. And it's like, every time it's like, where is this going? ricochet off of because it's you know a lot of times high we see that with young quarterbacks he did seem to settle down he threw his better passes after the first maybe five or so the first five or so were just everywhere uh but even like the Debo swing pass you're talking about the second touchdown you know credit Debo a little bit because a lot of times we see this kind of pass go missed he's running a swing route to the outside and Lance sometimes they you know the, the quarterback will lead him upfield a little bit the receiver needs to start breaking as they catch it Lance definitely did that, but he also threw it very high. And Debo's moving sort of, you know, sidestepping away from the pass, and it's high and upfield. Sometimes players get get crushed in that situation as well. And, and Debo's looking back. He's not looking upfield. He goes very fearlessly after that pass. It wasn't the worst pass in the world, but he made it look very, very easy. He immediately put his foot in the ground, stepped forward, reached up, and basically made it a, an extended catch towards the towards the goal line which again you see guys running these little bubble screens sometimes receivers make a little bit of a business decision there Debo did not he catches that ball immediately turns it upfield and like you said was fighting through defenders to get into the end zone I thought that whole play was Debo basically I mean Lance put it in the vicinity but a phenomenal play by Debo he's very very good to your point you were you, were, you started that talking about him Pat Corain had this awesome stat in the offseason that I've referenced a few different times uh Debo had over two 2.0 yards per route run in both of his first two seasons. You were talking about how he was, you know, a little better than people remember in his rookie year and in his second season. He had over 2.0 yards per route run both years. 
And Pat went back and looked at all the guys in the last 10 years that have done that. And I, I remember it started back in the Julio Jones class and Julio and AJ Green were the only two in that class. And basically every class since where there was a guy who did this, who had over 2.0 yards per out run, both of his first two seasons, it was superstar after superstar after superstar. AJ Brown was on the list more recently. I can't remember every name, but just imagine all of the good players who have started their careers well. I mean, I'm pretty sure Odo Beckham is on that list. Very, you know, very impressive list. And then Debo Samuel is on that list. And it, it almost was like, wow, he's the one outlier. But look what he's doing now. Like, you know what I mean? I'm just trying to reinforce it. Like, Debo Samuel's very, very good, like you're saying. Yeah. It, so the San Francisco situation, it sounds like Garoppolo will be back sooner than maybe it looked like on Sunday. And so we're going to have to continue to wait on some of these teams that have tricky uh, QB decisions. Ben, one of the things that you and I have done is we took a little bit of risk at QB to continue to load up on these players that we know we're going to need for those flex positions during the bye weeks. It hasn't worked great so far. Not only have we not exactly hit, but we've played the wrong guys. And as a result, our, not surprisingly, I mean, our, our QB scoring has been pretty mediocre. And so I'm, I'm optimistic that this is going to improve. One of the things that we said is that, you know, if we can get through the first month or so and Burrow starts to score more points, maybe Lance is in there, maybe Fields is in there. We're going to do a little bit more. It's concerning to hear the 49ers say that, I mean, Lance really just isn't ready to play this year at this point and that they're looking to get back to Garoppolo. I was kind of, you know, joking about this. It's kind of one of those things where, you know, Kyle Shanahan was actually very successful when RG3 was a rookie, even though he didn't believe in him. So it's a very different dynamic here where they obviously believe in Lance, but think that it's a much longer term kind of situation. Uh, my sister was joking, and she is the best fantasy player in the family. Uh, she was doing her ESPN draft, and in the first round, she's in the Superflex, uh, just a kind of a weird format so don't get caught up in exactly who the players are but she was looking to take you know either kyler murray or lamar jackson a, a good pick there murray kind of the the guy but she was putting uh lamar jackson into her queue when she was actually on the clock and if you played in the espn format it's a little bit tricky there the same button that is for the queue when you're not on the clock is for the draft when you are and so she drafted Lamar Jackson inadvertently there in the first round. That's obviously been fine, but, but she was joking. Maybe that's the situation the 49ers were in when they selected Lance. We got all of this uh, debate about, did they move up for Lance? Did they move up for Mac Jones? Mac Jones has looked amazing. So I'm sure that there's at least a little bit in the back of their minds that Mac Jones is the guy they should have taken. Uh, she was joking that maybe they were just trying to put Lance in their queue. <laughs> And so <laughs> that's how they got onto the team there. What are your thoughts on this situation? And, and take me into kind of the Justin Fields uh, breakdown as well. Now that we know that he's the starter right before we came on the show, you were saying, okay, Fields is going to be the guy. They had tried to talk him down, talk him down. Dalton's coming back. Oh, you know, now it's going to be Fields. We would assume that this means the offense now will be designed around him. Hopefully he'll be able to get out there on the edge and run a little bit more. We saw his amazing arm strength and downfield accuracy in his second opportunity to play. He's going to be doing it without David Montgomery for about a month. And, you know, there are some disadvantages to that. David Montgomery averaging over three yards after contact. We can see this thrashing, uh, just, you know, whirling dervish type of running style that he has. He looked good in that game. He scores the touchdowns. He sort of pilfers some touchdowns. And if they had gone to fields, all of a sudden you're thinking, okay, this is a big game for fields. 
We look at Damian Williams. He's actually got even better peripherals, although it's on a very, very tiny sample. He's got a 25% evasion percentage. We know that he's got some long speed, or at least he did at one point in his career. So Damian Williams, a zero RB, or just anybody who needs an RB acquisition for this week. But how does this offense look now with Darnell Mooney, the vertical guy, gets open at will, fields attacking the QB, backup running back in place. A lot of different ways this could go. I mean, I'm optimistic, but I was optimistic a couple of weeks ago too when things really went poorly. Yeah, I mean, I think it's cautious optimism for those reasons. The last couple of weeks have been a little bit concerning. At the same time, it, it has felt like Nagy has gone into these last couple of weeks, especially the first game, thinking like he was almost you know forced to play Justin Fields. We talked a lot on Sunday, and I, I sort of theorized that you know he in in this past game he was almost trying to limit a Justin Fields breakout. He wasn't letting him you know throw he wasn't he wasn't calling bass play fields would make a great play down the field and then they'd just run the ball three straight times and it was like let him get into a rhythm against a bad defense when you're winning i understand you know the need to to get a win and but they went 39 17 i believe it was in terms of run pass ratio runs uh more than than twice as frequently as passes we have not seen any kind of qb designed runs you know people criticize fields in his first start for not pulling some of the zone read stuff read option stuff. I, 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 I mean, I don't know. I guess I have this, you look at the the body of work so far, I guess I have this, uh, I, I'm not the X's and O's guy. I'll trust the experts, but I have this question whether there are even zone reads that are being called or just inside gifts that are basically designed to be fake zone reads, but he doesn't have the option to pull it because it doesn't seem like they're doing a whole lot to trust him. Now that they have named him the starter though you would expect that we actually get some of that at some point i mean i I can't imagine they go an entire season continuing to not elevate him in those ways and and elevate their offense in those ways and then especially you talk about david montgomery being out i do think that's a negative but especially without montgomery and i wonder if that played into the decision at all now you what what is your offense going to look like without david montgomery your lead running back and andy dalton playing quarterback like that your offense already was going to just need to be david montgomery basically which they've shown Late last season, they showed it, and they've shown it uh, at times this year. They showed it this week that they just wanted to keep giving Montgomery the ball over and over again. That that was, and, and he ran the ball well. They, the Bears' backs ran the ball well, and Damian Williams ran the ball well. He and he could be fine, but uh, and I do like him as a pickup. But I, I just think you look at this and you're like, okay, we need Fields from a from a playmaking perspective even more now. We need him to be able to push the ball down the field, and maybe that you know also leads to we need him to run a little bit because we don't have our, our workhorse running back our young guy anymore we have now an older back that we're going to use maybe they're less likely to give Damian Williams 20 carries that's that's sort of what I'm getting at and so I'm optimistic I'm cautiously optimistic but yeah we talked on Sunday I, I thought he was a fantastic passer this week fields uh 11 for 17 at the end of the day very low volume not even that great of a completion percentage I believe he had either five or six passes on third down. I went back and counted and, and I was going through the box score. And anyway, I uh, <laughs> I wrote either five or six in stealing signals because I forgot my count and I didn't want to count again. But it was about a third of his pass attempts were on third downs and long situations typically. It was basically when they went run, run, pass. They didn't actually convert the first time with the ground. Then they would ask him to pass. We know that you know Josh Allen last year, had a it took a huge step forward for a lot of reasons, you know, I'm not trying to discredit him, but a part of that was the Bills were willing to throw in early downs. We've talked a lot about the on that on the show that how that sharpness, how that 
willingness to embrace sort of analytics and, and forward thinking from a real football standpoint has impacted fantasy. The Bills were way up there in early down pass rate last year. That's like sort of the poster example for why that's important. Uh, the Bears only had eight first downs on like 50 or 60 total plays or third downs, excuse me, on like 50 or 60 total plays, whatever, whatever the number of total plays was. And of those eight, you know, you had whatever it was, five or six of them were Justin Fields passes. And that was, you know, a third of, of Fields passes. You can do the math like their early down pass rate, which I don't have the number of, but it was very, very low in this game. And so I'm going back to, you know, Fields was 11 for 17. He still had over 12 yards per attempt as a passer because those 11 completions all seem to be, you know, explosive plays down the field. Even some incompletions, the pass that Cole Komet that drew, a, I believe, drew a DPI. If Komet could have gotten away from the defender and turned, Fields threw it in a spot where the defender, it was away from the leverage, you know, in a spot where the defender was not, where Komet would have been able to catch it and move into space. He His misses have impressed me like that as well. He's throwing into places that he understands football. He understands where you have to put the ball so your guy can go make a play and the other guy can't. And so anyway, there's been a lot like that and that I've seen dating back to preseason. That's why I've been optimistic about what, what he has in the bag as a passer and then you just have to think that going forward, he's going to throw more than 17 times. They're not going to be this ridiculous. But I, I won't put anything past Matt Nagy. You know, I, that, that's why I'm a little bit more excited about Lance. I, I trust Shanahan way, way more. Yeah, in both of these situations, I think there has to be a little bit of frustration that when you've drafted these guys and you're trying to develop them, even though they're not the starter and even though maybe they only have a small package of plays. Now, granted, I, there's just such big differences between them and Dalton and Garoppolo. And if you're going to go with Dalton and Garoppolo, you do need to have an offense that works for them. You'd like to see it still tailored a little bit more to the strengths of these rookies. So if there is an injury or you put them in for a stretch, that it's just not everything is so different. I mean, there needs to be a little bit of level of preparation here. The fact that when Fields went into his game and Lance went into his game, that the teams just didn't have a game plan in place that would work at all that's a little bit frustrating to me from a coaching perspective, but you understand why it happens. I mean, both of these guys are very skilled. I thought that the second week step for fields was really exciting because in the first week, the fact that they were having trouble handling the pressure, they tried to deal with that with a bunch of short passes, which that's not what fields does. Well, in the second week, they stretched it more horizontally. They especially stretched it more vertically. You don't get as much pressure when the defense has to defend a lot more and they use their quarterback strengths. And so I think that if we get that, especially now that they can't rely on Montgomery, maybe there's more potential for disaster, but there's also more potential for these really big games for Justin Fields. And if you've been stashing him with the idea of playing him, this potential for the big game, and you know, frankly, you know, most weeks you're going to need to do more than you have to do against the Detroit Lions, that also plays into a bigger fantasy ceiling. Yeah. Then when we come back yeah. from the, before we go to break, I just want to emphasize that point because you said it very well. It was baby steps for Matt Nagy this week. It was we, we didn't see a ton of positive changes. We did see some positive movement in the right direction, the vertical passing and those things. And I think that's promising. It's a long season. And you mentioned the name Cole Komet, man. If this offense is going to succeed, he's got to get involved. Mooney is good. Allen Robinson, a solid vet. Maybe his lack of separation doesn't fit as well for a QB who would like to see guys open. I mean, these college guys are are used to seeing their superstar wide receivers have you know some separation that they can throw to there. But even if you give Robinson, and Robinson a very established good player, you need that third option. Cole Komet has got to get involved to give this passing offense the upside to, number one, be good for reality, and then, number two, to have the fantasy value overall. 
I'm sure he's been cut in a lot of places. I think he, he I think that's a, a great stash. Uh, there's a lot of interesting tight ends, but he's one that actually has potential for like extended, high, you know, solid high level play, if you will. Uh, we liked him back in draft season, and right now he's probably been dropped in basically every you know casual league. So if if you're in a little bit more of a shallow league or a more casual league, the other thing, I, real quick as well, I want to mention. I said baby steps from Nat Nagy. I'm sure some of our listeners are like, talk about Bill Lazor. Yes, Bill Lazor called the plays. <laughs> like Matt Nagy still obviously had influence. He made that very clear after the game as well. But hopefully Lazor continues to call the plays. That was a big, a big part of the changes. Well, then after the break here, we're going to look at some more of the late games and the biggest game of last weekend, what that means for fantasy. Also go through the Teddy Bridgewater injury and what that's done to the Denver Broncos. So we'll be right back. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. Okay, well, the headlining game in week four was the Arizona Cardinals versus the Los Angeles Rams and Matthew Stafford. Uh, I'm a big Stafford fan. I was a little more skeptical that he was going to be the true and complete savior of this Rams team. Then for three weeks, I was very impressed, very excited. You know, Cooper Cup, the number one receiver in football, not just the number one receiver, but a guy who scored so many points. We talked a lot about upside and how do you win in the playoffs and how do you win the half a million dollars? Can you do it with receivers? 
If Cooper Cup puts together that stretch during weeks, well, previously it was 14 to 16, now it's 15 through 17, then you are on your way. You need one other big performer probably there to win the half a million dollars, or you're going to be competing against purely Cooper Cup teams, right? So it's going to be you and the rest of the Cooper Cup drafters there. Week four looked more like Lions fans are used to where we have some of these passes that don't seem to make sense. He did seem to have Cup open late. That may have been one where Cup stumbled, and so uh, the pass and the route were not quite on the same angle because of that. But Cup still, even in this down game, did have a shot for a big play there. The storyline, though, was the other side of the ball. Kyler Murray continues to look fantastic. We joke about A.J. Green every week. He scores another touchdown here. Christian Kirk not very involved. Rondell Moore not very involved. Uh, we also have to give a shout out to our zero RB pick in James Conner. He carried the ball 18 times. He looked awful, but he got into the end zone <laughs> twice, which is what we know really matters. Chase Edmonds here with 120 yards. He had a huge number in yards before contact. I always bring that up because guys like Jamal Charles, who have first and second down carries, and are still doing big numbers in that category. I mean, yes, sometimes in the yards before contact, if you're looking at third down backs who are facing very different types of boxes than your early down runners, yeah, it's going to be different. They're facing a different defense. But when you have these guys who are getting the carries, one of the big, I mean, it wasn't that important from a fantasy perspective, but from a reality perspective, when the Cardinals stop the Rams on a couple on a couple of tries from the one and that fourth and goal and you know unfortunately Henderson doesn't get the ball there and then they have a 95 yard drive that culminates only in a field goal but it was only run plays so a, a lot to go over here with Cardinals Rams uh, frankly we'd like to see I mean even though we're not on him for this season we'd like to see DeAndre Hopkins a little bit more involved we'd love to see Rondell Moore involved but this rushing offense for the Cardinals, which includes Kyler Murray, has been very, very dynamic. They're able to control games. Yeah, the Cardinals look fantastic. I, and I'm, I've been playing with with that. That was such an impressive performance because they. I've been playing with it because they did kind of stumble against the Jaguars for a while. <laughs> Although the, the Jaguars got the field goal attempt return for a touchdown right before halftime, but they were trailing and then they get a pick six against Trevor Lawrence and they wind up pulling away and they would have lost to the Vikings if the Vikings could make the kick at home. And so, you know, two of their wins haven't looked so impressive maybe, but yet they've still looked very good. And the Titans game in week one looked really, really good. And now this Rams one looked really, really good. Their defense isn't bad. I mean, they have playmakers on the defensive side of the ball. They have Chandler Jones. They've added J.J. Watt. They have, uh, you know, Buda Baker makes all sorts of plays in, in the secondary. It's, uh, I mean, I'm I'm excited. I think Kyler is arguably the, the QB1 right now, you know, going forward, like sh should be the QB1, so to speak. Uh, he, he's made steps forward as a passer very clearly. Um, the big story in this game, though, was you, you brought up AJ Green, and you know I got a little trolled by my buddy Mike Leone because I've, I'm very anti AJ Green. I've also been very vocally anti Van Jefferson, and so they were the leading receivers on both sides of this game. Two guys that I've dogged quite a bit in stealing signals. I I, I got to get it on the record from you. Am I going to look at our waiver claims later and see any kind of bids on on Van Jefferson? You know, I don't. I don't think so. I did put a joking bid in for AJ Green uh, one of the weeks when when he had been dropped, 
And I think we even joked on the show about a, a $600 bid there. That $600 bid's looking a little bit better. AJ Green, it, it's it's so funny because I, the passes have been so good. He did make the, the touchdown play there. He's obviously not getting double teams like he used to in Cincinnati. All the defense is trying to take Hopkins away. They're having some success with that. Hopkins, not 100%. It, it really feels like in this game, and, and think about how good your team is playing if you can go into a, a game against the team that everybody thought was the best team in football right now in the Rams, and you can actually more or less protect your starting running back in Chase Edmonds by giving 18 carries to James Conner, and you can protect to an extent DeAndre Hopkins by having these other guys involved, not even really having Christian Kirk involved in this game. I was telling people just from like the body language and how he moves out on the field. If you told me that AJ Green is 55 years old, I would not be surprised. I mean, that's, it, but you know, you can't, you can't argue with the production. He's like, I mean, I've never been super fast or, or just, you know, if you're tall with long arms and willing to catch the ball and last week he was willing to catch that touchdown. So that was good. We, we like to see that for, for the Cardinals last there. Week, last week he was willing to, to catch the football. <laughs> So it's it's been it's been a lot of fun for those guys. Then on the other side of the ball, Henderson just you know he's got that injury that he's dealing with, but it, it's not a leg injury. And that guy, I mean, he looks like Jamal Charles. I mean, Curtis had mentioned this a little bit in his you know preseason article about Henderson. He he didn't test with the type of speed that he appears to show on the field now. And he's the other guy with these crazy numbers in yards before contact. And again, you're getting a lot of those carries on first and second down now. We know with the Cardinals and with the Rams that they're stretching defenses horizontally, they're stretching defenses vertically, much more than almost all other NFL offenses can do. So even first and second down carries are not going to have the same defensive fronts that you know Derrick Henry sees. But the way that he is getting into the secondary, it's almost the kind of game where if they've been able to use him more, I mean, he could have had a 200-yard game, you know, multiple touchdowns. It, when you have a good passing game, and obviously just regardless of how you know good or bad your, your running game is, if you have a decent passing game, you've got to pass. But this was kind of a funny one where the Rams might have benefited from using him a little bit more. The weird thing was he was actually still in the game during garbage time, which didn't make sense with the well, fact that they need to keep him healthy. But it, it, it doesn't, but it does in the sense that in week one, they played him every single snap. In week two, they played him every single snap until he got hurt. And then Sony Michelle got all 10 of his carries in week two after Henderson went out of the game. And in week four, there was some question and some thought, at least in my head, about whether or not Henderson would play a ton. Um, I had some discussions with co-managers about uh, in two different leagues about Michelle versus Dylan. One of the points that I brought up was I thought Michelle was a better bet to, to be a complete zero because there was this possibility that Henderson returned and everyone was thinking that, Hen that Michelle would play a little, but Henderson would just be right back to that entirely full role. What happens with Michelle is he gets two carries in the first quarter, then early in the second, he fumbles. He doesn't touch the ball again the entire game. And so I think that, certainly impacted the garbage time as you're talking about. And, and, but again, Michelle had only gotten two carries in the first quarter. I don't know how many Henderson got, but it was a lot more, you know, he, after that fumble in the second, doesn't get the ball again, the whole game. And so it, it the point I'm making is it felt like the, the Rams were ready to go back to full Henderson as their only guy, which they did with Gurley back in the day. And they've done it other times. They didn't do it as much last year. They did it with acres late though. And I think it's been McVay's tendency more often than not uh to to have one guy the only little difference was early last year when malcolm brown was involved even when henderson started going you know going off a little bit as a runner you still had malcolm brown playing on passing down so far this year every indication that i've seen looking at the snaps and the routes and all these things is that 
they they're going to use Daryl Henderson as an almost an every down back like they did back with Gurley, and that is phenomenal. The biggest thing about this offense that I emphasized in the offseason about potentially why you should target this guy, it generates a ton of running back points and it it concentrates them. There are so many times in the past few years where whoever the lead back is has been very good. An example I used in some of my writing was C.J. Anderson that one year that that Gurley wasn't great late. They brought in C.J. Anderson off the scrap heap. And after this season, C.J. Anderson never really plays again. But he has a phenomenal week 16, week 17, and I believe the first week of the playoff stretch where he in it's so it's not really in fantasy managers' minds. It was, you know, week 17, it was into the playoffs. But he has he averages, I think, 150 total yards and over one touchdown per game. It's an offense that will generate running back points because of the things that you said. They they stretch defenses the way that the passing game it positively influences the running game. It's also a team that will uh, utilize the running backs heavily in the green zone. They're always up there in in running back touchdowns. And, and this, again, goes back to the Todd Gurley years. You know, it goes back to Malcolm Brown having multiple touchdown games at times. It goes back to C.J. Anderson being very productive with touchdowns when he was their guy and Cam Akers last year as well. So you have a lot of reasons to be really in on Daryl Henderson. I think because his first four games have been a little bit odd. His first game was great. Second game, he gets hurt mid-game. He doesn't play in week three, week four. Like you said, didn't get as much production in this game as he could have. You might still be able to buy this guy at a at a price in, in trades that doesn't really reflect what he should be priced at. I mean, I think he's a great option right now. I mean, I called CEH uh, a buy low the last couple of weeks because he's not getting the high value touches. He's not running the routes. And I got some specific questions about who would you be targeting? And one of the things I said from like a strategy perspective, you might want to package CEH with somebody who's a little bit sexier, right? talked to someone about, you know, CEH with Debo Samuel, which I think made some sense. And, and look, Debo's phenomenal, but it was to get up to Dalvin Cook, to be clear. Like it was to, to really upgrade at running back. They were trying to get to Dalvin Cook. And so Debo, I think, is a guy that you could probably sell a little high on. And Debo's sexy enough right now that it kind of, you know, takes takes some of the stink of, of you know, some of the concerns with Clyde or Zolaire off, right? Sometimes when you send these trade offers with two players that, are clear by lows. People are like, well, I don't want either of these players. But if you package CEH with someone like that, you can get somebody very good. The other way you could trade CEH, the reason I bring him up now is for a guy like Daryl Henderson, who I think should be valued a lot higher than CEH right now. And probably you could do that deal straight up just because people still cling to ADP and those things. I'm not sure if you could for sure, but it's possible. And you might even be able to get something added, you know, to trade CEH and get Daryl Henderson. I'm not sure, but depends on the league. Yeah, so, uh, I mean, Henderson, there are only four or five guys in the NFL that get through the line into the secondary with that much burst. So, I'm, yeah, I mean, he should get every touch. And that's why, in some ways, I was I was so nervous about the fact that he's getting some low-value touches at the end of that game. I was like, just get out of this game and get us into next week where we can get him into all these lineups. You said that Edwards Alaire is a buy low? Or did no, you sell high. Okay, so sell high there. We know he's got the rushing totals the last two weeks and the receiving touchdowns the last two weeks. That sort of boosts the overall scoring. And I think that it's it's great to see the rushing numbers there. He's actually one of the league leaders also in terms of yards before contact. And that's something else where if teams are going to play that soft against Kansas City, you at least want them to be able to make the teams pay a little bit. Now, the fluky element of scoring the touchdowns through the air when he's not getting a ton of receptions, not getting the goal line touches. Definitely understand why would we, why would we be selling him 
Debo, an interesting name in that space. If we drafted today, we did some offseason shows about what the 2022 first, second round were going to look like. I mean, he, is he not somebody who would be up oh, into would. the first round? Ooh, the first round. I mean, that's that's where I think maybe he wouldn't be. Because we had a draft where Adams, Diggs, and Hill were all gone. Those guys would all still go ahead of him, obviously. Is there another guy? I mean, Justin Jefferson, for me, is right in there. He should have gotten much more volume this last week. They had it spread almost evenly between about four guys there. But Debo, I, I mean, we've been talking him up, but, but where does he fit for us? Yeah, I mean, I think that's... Um... You know, now, now hearing you say this, I'm, I'm worried I gave bad advice. <laughs> but no, the, the person who uh, has Debo also had A.J. Brown and T. Higgins. And so he's waiting on those people to come back, has other good receivers as well. I commented that I would probably still take Brown and Higgins sort of long term when they're back and healthy. I think they're going to be more productive. My concern with Debo is a, a couple things. One, he's always been incredibly efficient and he's fantastic. He's not a guy I actually want to trade. Um, but it was just sort of looking at a group of receivers that were all very good and trying to package up from CEH to get to Cook. That was that was where I landed. But one, he's been efficient almost in a way that that certainly, like especially you look back at, at the touchdown this week, he was just unguarded, right? And he has a 76-yard TD. Um, he's had some other long touchdowns. It's tough to, I know in the, um, what was that, the Detroit game? Week one, he had a 70-something yard TD. It's tough, obviously, to replicate those plays. Now, if you're Debo Samuel, they're going to come more naturally, but it's tough to replicate those things. Number two, I do think George Kittle is going to be involved in this offense and be productive soon. I think he's going to have a monster game soon. Like I, I think the, the down game for Debo is coming at some point. Not a clear down game. He's still going to have like a good floor, maybe like a six catch for 60 yard and no touchdown type game, but it's not going to be a, you know another explosion every single week. And because of Kittle, and then there's the IU question. Like, is I like that that is related here? Is IU really going to do nothing all year? Because if you're taking Debo in the first round, that's sort of what you're suggesting. My concern is that if IU does actually at some point in the season do anything, that is obviously going to limit what you limit Debo's ability to do what he's been doing, certainly. And especially if Kittle is also involved at some point, it just seems to me, and, and then with the explosive plays that are already going to be tough to sustain, it it seems like. Debo's a little bit, not necessarily overvalued, but a little bit unlikely to sort of sustain all the elements that have led to what makes him look so great right now. So I think that Debo is a sort of a, a second, third round turn selection. And Cook, man, if he can stay healthy, that guy, it just... Would you take Higgins over Debo right now if you're redrafting? No. Oh. I would not. Um but I think that it could. I think it could still go that way. I am still concerned about just the overall quality because you look at this last game and Debo had a huge game. It could easily have been, you know, a disaster. And I, with the pass volume that we're getting from the Bengals, you can look at that with any other guys and say, you know, if this game just goes slightly differently, it could also be a disaster. I'm expecting the Bengals passing offense to be one of the very best in the NFL over the second half of the season. There are a lot of questions of the quarterback position for the 49ers to where that's not necessarily the case. So where I think that Debo has separated more than Higgins. I mean, you just look at, at last Thursday night and both Jamar Chase and Tyler Boyd were absolutely fantastic. I mean, they're two of the better wide receivers in the entire NFL. There's still going to be some splits there. I think that that one is going to be more balanced than the 49ers one. I still like Ayuk. He should be buying him everywhere in Dynasty. 
but Debo, I think, is more the guy. Those guys are kind of in the mix. Higgins supposedly is going to be back this week. We're very excited about that. We have a lot of Higgins. We do have a lot of Jamar Chase. And so the main thing is this Mixon injury, which I still don't have a great read on, but this Mixon injury, hopefully that will launch the Bengals. And really, you can see what they want to do, right? I mean, this is a team that understands the analytics. They know that you have to pass to be a Super Bowl contender. They were really just trying to get through this first month with yes. the team healthy and making some progress they did that they did it burrow has good burrow's yeah. been competitive you get a little bit of an extra break here from this thursday to sunday and you get the packers and this was this was what i had said from the offseason look at week four basically um and i guess really what i meant was after week four maybe the first four games will be slow in, in burrow's you know recovery if you will but if he's not himself by this packers game that's when i would have started to get concerned now, the Packers are demons that ask you to run a lot, but I do think there's a, a strong likelihood that they'll trail. We'll see what the game script is like. Maybe they beat the Packers outright at home. I don't know. But if they trail and they don't throw the most that they've thrown all season, especially now that Mixon's banged up, that's when I'll get concerned. But this is the game where I expect him to throw 35-plus passes. And even more than a team like the Raiders, one of the things that we saw on Monday night is the Chargers ask you to go underneath. The Raiders play completely into your, their hands in the first half. And then in the second half, they came out and they said, oh, wait, I mean, we should do the things we're good at. They almost rally, not necessarily for the victory, but to get that game competitive. We saw some things from Henry Ruggs that were encouraging. You know, Derek Carr was not as accurate in this game. We saw how you can still get behind some of these defenses. The Bengals are a team that just has so much flexibility in terms of what they do with the receivers. Jamar Chase might already be one of the best vertical receivers in the game. T. Higgins might be already one of the best overall wide receivers in the game. Tyler Boyd is the best possession receiver in the game. So they can beat you at all of these different levels. I think that defenses that have a game plan to take away a team's strength are going to suffer against Cincinnati because they just have so much flexibility in terms of how they attack you. You take away one thing, they will beat you with something else because that receiving core gives them so many options and just such unique, but just high level skill sets. So I'm excited for how that hopefully develops. Then we have so much more we want to talk about, but we do need to wrap this one up. So I will do it for this episode of Stealing Bananas. I'm Sean Siegel. With me as always is Ben Gretsch, whom you can follow at Yards for Gretsch. Make sure you sign up for Stealing Signals. Uh, if you've listened to us chat, and obviously we talked about uh, Ben's performance in the fishbowl. He's been awesome in lots and lots of leagues. He will help you win your league. Make sure you sign up for that. We've been doing some really exciting and fun things over at Rotoviz. If you want to get a 10% discount for a subscription with us, just use the coupon code RVRadio2021 at checkout. Uh, if you can, leave us a rating and review. That really helps us out. Subscribe to the feed. You'll get the show a little bit earlier that way. And as always, as you go into Thursday night here, good luck. Get off to that fast start. We'll talk to you on Friday. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.